Welcome to the Ari Zoldan Show, where you'll be able to sit in on conversations with leading CEOs, executives, and founders of some of the most innovative and cutting-edge companies of today. You'll learn about blockchain, cryptocurrency, clean tech, and other industries that are pioneering the new economy. Ari brings his years of experience as an on-air TV commentator to the mic for a packed dialogue of education, information, and in-depth interviews. It's all here, right now. Here's your host, Ari Zoldan. And you're listening to the Ari Zoldan Show with your host, Ari Zoldan. 710-WOR, the voice of New York and iHeartRadio. We are back in studio in Tribeca here with Josh Carey, our wonderful producer. Josh, how are you? I am as good as ever, Ari. I feel great always being in the city that I love most, New York City. Always great to be here. And I got to say, I feel like this month is just overwhelmingly about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and NFTs. I, I really feel that if ever there's a time there's something bubbling and brewing that it's almost overflowing into the mainstream. It's just heavy on my mind. Do you feel that? Yeah, 100%. I think that some of the guests also that we've had, almost every single one, not all of them, but I think almost every single one touched upon some elements, some aspects, some sector of cryptocurrency. It's got to mean something. I know that the big enthusiasts who we've been rubbing shoulders with for a while now, they they almost relate this to the early days of the internet and when you know in in the 90s when the naysayers were saying oh come on what is that thing it's never going to take off part of me has to believe that this is the way of the future and today's show is going to probably solidify a little bit of that I think so. And I'm also excited, Josh, to hear a little bit. I, I've been reading a bit about DeFi also. Mm. We're, we're hearing, you know, we've been talking a lot of crypto, NFT. Excited to speak to our next guest, Sam, about DeFi and trying to get into some of the brass tacks of that. Yeah, we're going to be sitting down with, as you said, Sam Ewan, who is the head of Coindesk Studios. That's the creative and innovation arm of Coindesk. Coindesk has been around since 2013. For lack of a better description, they're the Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal for cryptocurrencies. They're massive. Their parent company is one of the largest holders of all cryptocurrencies. So I think they have a handle on what they're doing. And I was talking to Sam before we went on the air. It's just interesting that from my point of view, And really, I'm so early in this whole crypto space, but it seems like for Coindesk to come onto the scene in 2013, which is just about four years after the launch of Bitcoin in 2009, that seems like an innovative time to have gotten in a really foreshadowing and and forethinking time to really plant your feet in I mean, they're they're truly massive. So Sam's going to sit down and talk to you about consensus, among other things, which is their their conference that they've been doing since 2015. This year, they're expecting about 15,000 people to attend. So it's going to be a great conversation all about Bitcoin, NFT and crypto. Let's bring him right onto the mic. I'm happy to welcome and introduce Sam Ewan to the show. Thank you, Josh. Hi, Sam. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So, so you know, right before we got on air, you, you gave me this interesting factoid, which I, I thought was really interesting. You said, you know, Ari, I was, you know, I was an early Bitcoin miner. I said, well, tell me what year. And 
and you said about 2013, 2014. What was that like then? And did you ever anticipate that where some of the crypto numbers are at now, that in your wildest imaginations, that it would be anywhere near there? Yeah, when when I got into Bitcoin mining, which was very early 2014, some friends and I were just really fascinated by this sort of idea of decentralized sort of validation of a financial asset. And so, you know, the, the fact that that was going on and that you could just, in essence, you know, buy a relatively cheap machine and sort of point it to being one that solves the problems of the Bitcoin ecosystem and get rewarded for it just seemed like something I'd never really seen before. And so, yeah, myself and four friends bought some $800 Bitcoin miners and I had my own agency at the time, a creative agency, and we put them in there just running on the building's energy. And we just let it, let it go. And uh, it was fascinating. I mean, during that time alone, Bitcoin, when we started, it was about $500 a coin. It went up uh, to the 800s. It broke 1,000 very briefly and then fell to a little over 200. And so, you know, as that was going on, you sort of saw this fluctuation and the volatility. But uh, there was something really exciting about knowing that every day, we could check and say, you know, there's fractionally more Bitcoin in our account as we were doing this. That machine ended up lasting for about seven, seven and a half months before it became obsolete because mm. the math problems continue to get harder when you're doing Bitcoin mining. And so we did that. We then pointed it at Ethereum. We pointed it at Litecoin. And so it allowed us to sort of play in this ecosystem at a time when it was very hard to get in. There was no sort of real Coinbase that you could go and, you know, link it to your bank account and just buy. You had to sort of have a, a sort of technological understanding enough that you could utilize the power in these machines, but like suddenly you're then looking at your accounts and you're saying, oh, where there was nothing, now there's $600, now there's $800, now there's $1,200. And these days where Bitcoin has reached highs of over 60000 and right now hovers around $40,000 a coin, it's pretty astounding to see where it's come so far. Yeah. And and I don't think anybody really, I mean, people could predict, but I don't think anybody has any type of imagination to kind of, you know, throw a number against the wall. I mean, with the answer, I don't know, you know, is there a potential cap? Well, there's a lot of people who predicted at the end of last year that we would be plus 100,000 per Bitcoin and plus 20,000 per Ethereum. And um, I think that was just wishful thinking. It's a very um, wag me, we're all going to make it. Uh, mm -hmm. sort of idea that is in crypto that no matter what, we're going to always, you know, kind of always be focused up. But the reality is it's a very volatile industry. It's a very exciting one to be in. And while you can't predict, I think that the, the general trajectory says you have this scarce asset that will co continue to re become more and more scarce. And so with scarcity comes value. Yeah. So talk to me, Sam, about some of the trends that you're seeing from, from the inside. Kind of if you could take us through that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of interesting trends that have happened over the last couple of months and really going to the last year, year and a half. I think one is just more and more people are more comfortable with cryptocurrency as a financial investment. And I think that's something that's that's great. I remember talking to my family in 2015 and 2016 and saying, you guys should get in. And so my brother or my father bought $50 of Bitcoin and kind of left it at that. Whereas others were starting to say, all right, I'm going to take 5% of my portfolio and put it into this and see what happens. And now we're seeing people are often doing 20% of their portfolio, 25%. And so that's a pretty exciting sort of just acceptance, if you will, of it as, an, as, a, as a value-based asset. 
we're also seeing a ton, a ton of transactions now happening. You mentioned DeFi earlier. We're seeing the NFT space kind of blow up. We're seeing a lot more payments happening. And so I think people are starting to see that there's a use for this. And the use is really exciting. So I think one trend is just the side of sort of financial and the reimagination of how those experiences can happen and get people excited around it. Secondly, we are, we've seen this just explosion in the NFT space. And the NFT space is one where digital assets have value. And any 15-year-old playing Fortnite right now knows that he wants to buy a skin for his character and, and knows that he, the value there might be $15 or $20. What happens when you then reimagine that as something you could then port from game to game, system to system? That becomes really interesting. And then the third one is this rise of what a lot of people are terming Web3, which is this idea of whether it's NFTs, whether it's uh, coins or currencies, that these are now an access point. If I have this NFT, I now get access into a brand I love, into a restaurant I want to go to, into a club. And that is, I think, something that's also super interesting in how we are looking at the space to say adoption comes because people, more and more people use it. And if we find ways in which not hundreds, but suddenly thousands and ten thousands of people are using it, and especially with the brands that they love, I think it unlocks just a tremendous future ahead of us. And Sam, um, are we at the point, and I suspect we are, but I'd love to hear your comments on it. Are we at the point where Wall Street is now seeing this as a real asset class? We were a couple of years ago, you had a lot of Wall Street really saying this is meaningless or this is the tulip uh, craze all over again. I don't think we're hearing that anymore. I think what we're seeing is a lot of folks trying to do financial assets and, and sort of different types of products that are wrapped up in crypto, whether it's futures or it's sort of spot market. I think you're also seeing a lot of big folks in finance holding and understanding that this is an asset that potentially is going to rise. And then I think you're also seeing that we're at that sort of beginning stages of a reimagination of what the internet is. And so the, the fact that there is a Ethereum and in essence a virtual machine that you can build applications on top of where Ether is the fuel of that. And so I think people are finally getting that we might be sort of where we were in the internet in 1998 that something big is coming. We don't know who's going to make it, but we know it's something to pay attention to. Right. And I know just um, touching on, and this is probably for a follow-up segment, but touching on unregulation, and, and I've been watching closely what's been happening coming out of out of the White House. There, there seems to be now instructions, or at least the White House is asking for guidance or, or standards, and they're, they're getting in front of the crypto commu- uh, community and asking for that. Do you see that as a positive sign? I think the industry just wants to know what the sort of what the rails are that they have to play within. And I think that actually will help the industry grow. Are there folks who are out there saying, don't take my my gains away 100 percent? But the fact is that if we know the rules, then we can play within the rules and actually we can build innovation and companies on top of the rules. There's an entire industry that will grow out of how you manage taxes and how you manage governance and how you manage dealing with sort of the way that companies will evolve in an ecosystem that is inherently decentralized, whether that's its user base or it's its infrastructure. And so I think that having government involved and actually being not necessarily fully positive, but at least being accepting that this is an innovation, I think starts to get us in the place that we need to be down the road. Do you feel, Sam, that that's the majority of the community is echoing what you're saying in terms of needing that support and guidance from Washington? Yeah, I think this sort of rogue, don't take anything, you know, no government involved. I mean, there's there's for sure a subset of the crypto industry that wants to say, I want to make all the money and not give anything away. But I think the majority of folks understand that, you know, if you held an asset and that asset went up 10x, 
and you sell it, that there's probably a taxable event there that you should be prepared for. The question is, are you being taxed as a security? Are you being taxed as an artwork? Are you being taxed, like what kind of asset class are you being taxed as? Because then at least we know the exposure and we can make that as a plan of how you move forward. If you're tuning in now, this is the Ari Zoldan Show, 710WOR, the voice of New York and iHeartRadio, having a really incredible and informative conversation with Sam Ewan of Coindesk. Let's talk about Coindesk. What does the company do? How does it operate? Who's involved? And then let's get right into the conference details. Yeah, sure. So Coindesk, as mentioned before, has been around since 2013. At, at present, we're closing in on about 200 people. About half of them are journalists, and those journalists are around the world. So we are really a journalistic first organization that really wants to be sort of the source of truth within the crypto space. We are not those who kind of pump anything. We're not those who are doing takedowns. For us, it's really about let's just make sure that people are as educated as possible in the decisions that they're making with their financial approach. And so that I think is really exciting. And, and we've just seen this explosion over the last couple of years of interest in the space. So whether it's someone who's a seasoned investor or it's sort of someone who's just sort of crypto curious for the first time, that there's something really exciting and interesting about that. We also, since 2015, have run the largest event, which is called Consensus. And the thing that sort of makes our event most unique is that Consensus is a big tent event. There are events already focused specifically on NFTs, on Bitcoin, on Ethereum, uh, on layer two protocols, all of these different different chains and such. But really, there's no one one place where everyone can get together and sort of share their experiences and learn from each other, except at consensus. And a lot of the sort of major announcements in crypto have happened at our event. This is the first year that we are taking it out of New York City, and we're going to Austin, Texas. We are sort of treating it as a festival model. So we have 15 different stages, five different venues, day to night activities. And it's really a celebration of the culture of crypto as much as it is exploring everything from DeFi and regulation to NFTs and DAOs, different, all the sort of different subcultures within crypto will all be in attendance. And I think that's pretty exciting. Are you seeing where is there opportunities for entrepreneurs, small companies to start playing in the space? There, there's an amazing and robust set of entrepreneurs coming into the space. They're, what, what a lot of them are doing are building very different looking companies, right? So we've seen the rise of LinksDAO, for example, which is a kind of decentralized group that's looking to buy golf courses mm. and create kind of a membership program around that. Whereas we're also seeing those who are reimagining the film industry or reimagining the art world. So there's a ton of people who are looking at the innovation around this. People are starting to wrap NFTs, real estate leases as NFTs. So I think there's, there's a bunch of folks who are saying, what could we do if we can sort of write something into a smart contract? And I think that's really exciting. And then there's this whole other side where we know that the sort of banking industry has done its best to kind of whittle away on the amounts of returns we can make in our accounts. We all, when I was young, I remembered having a savings account that could get 5% return and now it's, you know, 0.5%. Whereas now we are seeing in the crypto space, especially around DeFi, as you mentioned earlier, the ability to sort of commit your assets in and provide the, the liquidity that may fuel um, a protocol and get rewards that are closer to what we used to see at, at, at savings accounts. So there's a ton of space for people to both innovate, grow, invest, and also just to participate as, as sort of a basic user in ways that I think makes it feel more meaning, meaningful for them depending on how much time they want to put in. Great. And talk to me, the, the attendance. I think you're, you're estimating about 15,000 in person. What does that look like on the virtual side? 
Yes, we have about 15,000 coming in person. We also, last year we had our, our event wholly virtual because of COVID. We saw, I think, a total attendance of about 28,000 across all of our different platforms for it. And so for that, this year we are also doing a virtual event. The virtual event allows you to sort of get into all of the different stages, see all of the content. We actually, we call a participation currency, which is something that everyone, whether you're on the ground or virtual, can receive a currency for just attending sessions, networking with, with your friends, and utilize that actually to then, let's say you wanna buy an NFT or you wanna buy the, the sort of conference t-shirt. You then have a way to earn that instead of having to pay for it. So that's also something that we're building in. So yeah, the virtual side is one where we understand there's still a lot of travel restriction. And we want to make sure that people can still involve with each other and with the content. And we are looking at, frankly, a lot of different platforms to extend the message. We're trying to figure out ways, for example, for our metaverse content to be actually shown in metaverses. Mm. And so that would be a way to say, let's let's think about what the future of, of content absorption is across these different platforms. So there's a ton of ways people can engage. And some of the, um, Sam, some of the notable speakers you mentioned, Edward Snowden would be one. Yeah. So we have, you know, we have people like Edward Snowden. We have Neil Stevenson, who coined the term metaverse and his book Snow Crash, who will be speaking. We have Sam Beckman fried or Abby Johnson, both, you know, kind of both sides of the finance conversation at this point. We have some of the most notable NFT artists, people like like Micah Johnson and Justin Arversano, who, you know, people whose work commonly goes now for seven figures, which is pretty crazy. And then we have people across sort of all the different spe- spectrums of regulation of of development as well as the creative side the dow side we also have we have folks who are i mean everyone's trying to hire in the space which is pretty fascinating and so we we have a talent hub which is just trying to match up people who are looking for jobs and want to kind of leave their web 2 jobs and come into web 3 with uh, those are hiring and and there's been an unbelievable reception for that alone i'm happy sam you what you mentioned dow if you can explain that to our to our audience and kind of you know break it down as simple as possible yeah, so a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. So it's sort of imagine a company where every single employee gets to vote on every decision. So you 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 know you can vote somewhere weighted where the amount of a currency or an NFT you have allows you to have your vote have a little bit more impact. But the fact is, instead of having a top-down approach where a CEO comes in and says, this is what we're going to do, really everything is put to the group as a proposal and you get to vote up or down on it uh, on all of them. And there are kind of social clubs like Friends with Benefits that are really focused on kind of more the cultural side. And then there are those that are focused on on sort of businesses and can we be entrepreneurs together? And there are others that are really trying to sort of elevate the creative community and whether that's investing in assets or creating assets. Yeah, DAOs are a really interesting place because it feels a little bit more democratic than we're used to seeing in the workplace, but it also then attracts people who are much more collaborative. And I think that's one thing you see across crypto that people kind of want to work with each other. Are we going to hear about, are we going to hear information around DAO and these type of, of subjects at the conference? Yeah, we have uh, one location, which is called our DAO house, which is will house most of our DAO conversation. Uh, that alone will have three days of content. We also have people like Kimball Musk, who's Elon's brother, who has a philanthropic DAO. So his whole thing is let, let us use folks who will commit assets into a DAO. And then we as a group decide what we want to give money to. And so we'll, we'll hear from him on the main stage as he talks about his ethos around this. So there's a lot of ways that I think people will sort of get up to speed in DAO culture because it is something that's sometimes hard for people to grasp. But once you're in one, you kind of get excited. Right. And and let's actually, you wanted to, you know, you touch upon smart contract. If, if you could kind of explain what a smart contract is. Yeah. I mean, a smart contract really is a rule set that's written into um, sort of in, onto the blockchain that allows us to figure out kind of how how far do we want to push what one can do with the asset itself. 
right? So you could write a smart contract, again, that in, in, included in it is a real estate lease, included in, in it is a car lease, something like that. You also can write a smart contract that says, if you own this NFT, you can then access all of these other tools. And really, it's, it, it's more of a gateway into a larger ecosystem. So the, so the smart contract really is at the heart, uh, especially of, of kind of the NFT world and the DeFi world, in that there's a just a new way for us to think about how you can kind of make complex things relatively simple because they become easy to buy, but then there's a lot of code and sort of structure behind them that can respond to what's happening in the world. What are some of the, the challenges that the, let's say, the, the average web user uh, is facing right now to even go ahead and purchase crypto on a Coinbase? Yeah, so there are there are some states, for example, in the U.S. that still don't allow you to purchase. And so if you wanted to open an account, for example, in Coin, on Coinbase and you happen to live in Texas, then there are certain challenges. MetaMask, which is a very popular wallet, doesn't let you buy assets in Texas. So how you kind of figure out making sure that you are kind of on, you know, you're, you're sort of in the, the ecosystem as a, as a user is it's sometimes challenging and it's sometimes, it's sometimes not. It really depends on where you are. These days, most states will allow you to link a bank account in and you can buy crypto. There's a couple of kind of these really, really not decentralized, more centralized organizations like the Coinbase's of the world, the Crypto.com's of the world, the FTX's. And those are on-ramps where people will buy crypto and then often send those off. And it's the idea of um, a custodial versus a non-custodial wallet, which I don't want to get too technical, but one is about whether you own the assets or someone else owns the assets for you, which is the way an E-Trade happens to work, right? So imagine you had the ability to have all of your stocks in your own account where you were the bank, you were the investment house. That's where, where crypto wants to go. It's just more challenging. It's, it's a harder thing to do and it comes with a little bit more risk. And so I think part of what we're doing in the crypto space, we as a macro, not just Coindesk, is trying to sort of educate people on what it means to play and the right ways to play within your comfort level, what your risk level are. There are a lot of people who are carrying around five, six, seven figures on their phone in their, in their crypto wallet, which comes with it a fair amount of security challenge, which you might not feel that if you were keeping it on a centralized exchange. But those who sort of know how to be secure will will benefit from it. So part of it is sort of like doing your own research and really making sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into. The other thing I would say is, and the, and the opportunity is, the future of identity a lot of people are thinking is tied to crypto wallets. But the fact is I can go to a lot of Web3 websites right now and just connect my wallet. I never have to put a name and password in. My wallet is my connection. And so when you think of that and the idea that in the future, you might not have the ability, Instagram might not have the ability to sort of lock you out of your account because they don't like some of your content. But the fact is maybe your followers and your friends travel with you to any platform. That's interesting. Actually, that ecosystem is written on the blockchain for you as, in your, in your, as your identity tied to your crypto wallet, as opposed to a Web2 platform, the ability to sort of de-platform you. And that's pretty interesting. Do you see that happening? You owning, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. You owning your community, your audience that you've built. That, I think, is the vision that a lot of people are very excited about. It, you know, I'll give you an example. Even today, I, I was working on, on something on Twitter, and Twitter, for whatever reason, was not seeing my MetaMask wallet, which was I was trying to change my avatar. Now, your profile photo on Twitter, you can make an NFT that you own. And so I was trying to change it, and it wasn't working for whatever reason on my MetaMask. So I literally used my security key. I, re I launched another uh, wallet called Rainbow, and suddenly all my assets now are there. And Twitter was able to see that. So within a very short amount of time, because one thing wasn't working because one of my, they, and it was really on the Twitter side, they, there's something in their, in their programming that wasn't working on my mobile. I just immediately said, my one wallet, it's not MetaMask's wallet, it's my wallet. I, and I use the exact same 
recovery phrase to open an- another one, which is a completely different program. And so that, to me, is part of what we see, that as long as you, you're comfortable in owning your security, yes, you're seeing a ton of sort of portability around your data. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are very excited about. Incredible. This has really been a fascinating conversation with Sam Ewan at Coindesk. And Sam, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sam Ewan, LinkedIn at Sam Ewan, or just go to Coindesk.com and search my name. I've written a bunch of articles specifically around brands and how brands can get involved in, in the space. And yeah, that's I would say that's the best way to get me. Amazing. And you've been tuned in to the Ari Zoldan Show, 710WOR, the voice of New York and iHeartRadio. We're signing out. Listen to conversations with leaders of some of the most innovative and cutting-edge companies on the Ari Zoldan Show. You'll learn about blockchain, cryptocurrency, clean tech, and industries pioneering the new economy. It's the Ari Zoldan Show, Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on 710WOR.